All right, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome tonight to a special edition series, a special edition series of celebrity guests. So tonight is our kickoff and our guest tonight for our special edition series is none other than Anaya Lovenote. She is an R&B and hip hop artist. Her latest single just dropped, I believe, January 28th, and it's called Secure the Bag. It features the Yin Yang Twins and Chanel West Coast. She will also be opening on the West Coast for the Millennium Tour with Omarion and Bow Wow. Um, so tonight she's going to get up close and personal with us. She will. She is the first of many celebrity guests that will be on the show. You all know how we do um, for our special edition celebrity series here on Tuesday nights on the I'm Possible radio show. And tonight she's going to get up close and personal and tell us her story um, of overcoming uh, living in the foster care system, you know, as a child, um, having an absent father, as a lot of us um, are very, uh, can relate to that, um, especially in the African-American community, and to have a mother that was in and out of jail. So she's going to share her story. You know, these are sides of celebrities that we all don't get to know, but um, if you really want a different perspective of overcoming the impossible, to become possible, um, you have no idea some of the challenge that some of the challenges that they have faced to to get to where they are. So let's welcome Anaya to the show. Anaya, are you there? Hi. Hi. Hey. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. <laughs> no I problem. Good. Go ahead. Um, they, well, thank you for having me. First, I want to say that I'm super excited, and I hope that um, my story encourages others as well. You know, just to keep going and, um, you know, never give up no matter what your car gets dealt with. So I, I hope that they take that from my story today. Well, thank you so much for um, reaching out and wanting to be a part of the show. Um, it's not an easy thing for a lot of people to be transparent and, you know, tell their story. Um, so I am uh, elated, you know, that you were willing to come on the show. Um, and just like with anyone else that's willing to come on the show, um, me being a very <laughs> um, transparent and raw detail individual about her own story, you know, um, has created a safe space and platform for others to do the same. And not just to tell your story, but to also, as you say, give some tools and some insight, maybe, and some encouragement to those who may be experiencing the same things that you've already been through. So with that being said, um, Anaya, you want to tell us a little yeah. bit? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. You, you can go. I, I, I'm saying <laughs> Okay. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about um, yourself? Like, um, what was what was your childhood like? What? How did it start out? Um, well, uh, I got actually placed into foster care when I was five years old. And um, I was with my, like I said, my two sisters. I'm the second oldest. And, um... The first foster home, we were together, and then after we got split, split up. So when I got in place into, like, my first shelter, um, group home for girls, it's kind of where I found, that actually it's not kind of, that's exactly where I found music. I had to be about seven years old at this time, and um, I, I love listening to, like, Monica, Whitney Houston, I even listened to Backstreet Boys, Britney Spears, you know, things of that nature. But 
Um, Monica only used to really like stood out to me because I felt every time they would sing any song, I felt that love that they would sing about that I felt like I was neglected or like, you know, I, like I just didn't have. So I automatically attached myself mm-hmm. to what I was, what I was hearing um, on the radio, the songs that they were singing. It didn't matter if it was heartbreaking songs or love songs. It was just, I think as a kid, being in foster care, we don't have a lot of things to uh, latch onto. So it's always a blessing when the percentages of foster kids do find something they can latch onto to help them cope. So that's where I started as far as music goes and um, knowing that, okay, this is the only thing I could see myself doing. I can't see myself doing anything else. Like for me, singing is air to me. I need that. And when I'm sad, I listen to music. When I'm happy, I listen to music. Just music in general is just like my way of coping. So that, you know, and I don't, I don't smoke. I don't drink. I'm always sober. <laughs> um, I believe that a natural high is always comes from something that you genuinely love mm-hmm. to do. I think anybody that loves something that much can definitely always be their their go-to um thing you know that's that's kind of where I started okay so um tell us about I know that you said you entered into the foster care system at five um tell us what transpired to cause you um and your siblings to be put into foster care uh was it just that your father was your father absent from birth and was your mother did she you know um do some time in in prison which caused you all to be Um, taken out from the home or what um no actually my father he left me um we all have different fathers me and my siblings we have different daddies and um my dad chose to leave me um about five and my mom, like, they didn't really just get along since the time I was born. So it was, like, back and forth between, like, Puerto Rico and Texas. My mom ended up getting arrested, and um, she was a drug dealer. She was, you know, pimp. She, you know, there were a lot of things, but she also really, really loved music. So she actually got pulled over on her way to signing her first record deal. She got pulled over. And at that time, um, she ended up going missing for a week. And my grandmother, she ended up coming to take us. My grandma was an alcoholic. So for her, anytime she was sad or, you know, things like that, she's doing her own things with my mom, my uncle. He actually would, would beat on us. And um, I went to school one day, and I had a bruise, uh, like a really big bruise on my back mm-hmm. my teacher saw it and she asked me she said um are you getting whooping are you, are you getting beating at home at the time i didn't know the difference um i didn't know i didn't know the difference mm-hmm. when, I, when i was a kid i thought whooping beating for the same thing so i said yes and i asked her i told her don't tell anybody and on um, that same day she CPS came to my grandparents' house and they took us. And um, my grandma, she blamed me uh, for the reason why she was Oh, I'm so, 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 so sorry. <coughs> Take your time. <laughs> I 
Oh, no, you're fine. Take your time. This is what the show is all about. You get a healing through it, too, by sharing your story. So um, take your time. Um, at, that, at that point, uh, and when they came, they came to the house, and they did an interview. They interviewed, they interviewed me, my family, and my grandma. And, you know, of course, everything's great, everything's good. And then when he told my grandma, she was taking us away from her. And she was very, very mad. Um, my grandma actually, I found out later that she had breast cancer. So at that time, she was going to breast cancer and she had had heart surgery. My grandma passed away at the age of 15 when I was a sophomore in high school. But in between times, like, we would visibly meet my grandma for the holidays and whatnot. And, um, yeah, that's exactly how we ended up getting taken away. I'm so, so sorry that you had to endure that at such a young age. Um, but um, we'll get to the the impossible part here <laughs> very soon. Um, so um, as a result of your mother um, beating you, you were taken from her and, you know, your grandmother was calling, you were put into foster care. Can you tell me, because I know a lot of um, children, they have um, some very painful experiences, sometimes even worse than what they experienced at home while in foster care. Um, were you just in a foster care facility or were you living with several foster care families and what was that like? Um, I lived in several foster care families. I lived in group homes, shelters, ranch, um, ranches for foster kids. Um, actually, we, we got taken away from my grandparents. My grandmother is the one who had the alcohol abuse problem and then um and then my mom she was actually in jail at the time that we got taken away and placed in foster care so she didn't know that we were taken away and placed in foster care mm-hmm. until um until we were already gone but in, in those foster homes uh, there's a lot that goes into those foster homes a lot of parents they only take the kids in for money, majority of them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the foster homes that I were in used to tell that the foster parents only took the kids in for money. And you could tell by this also of how the foster parents would treat the kids. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the different ages and things of that nature, but when you're placed in shelters, group homes, and foster homes, there's a lot of kids who are not mentally stable um for the things that they're going through mm-hmm. and then you have adults who um i guess in a, a lack of the word well adults that find young kids um attractive mm-hmm. so those are some of the things that we we dealt with as a child uh, my sister actually at the age of seven he tried to commit suicide. Oh my. And um, 
she ran away. She ran away with our first foster home. Her name was Mr. Mrs. and Mrs. White. And I would never forget uh, uh, that foster home. And I would actually never forget about two others. Um, that, yeah, that's my sister. She ran away five times. She came back because she knew that we needed her. But, and she was older than us. And a lot of things that she remembered and a lot of emotions she had, she was going through. So I actually, me and my little sister, um, she woke us up one morning and she said she couldn't do it anymore. And she tried to commit suicide in the bathroom at the age of seven. Mm-hmm. Um, we ended up getting taken away from Mr. White's house because <laughs> we decided to tear up their entire house. Oh my God, we, we were so bad. We, we. Yep, I think we just lost our caller so everyone just hold on um, we're going to get her back on the air I think it just disconnected us so hold on guys be right back All right, I think we have her back. And Naya, are you back on the line? Yeah, let me go ahead and merge this call. Sorry. All right. Anaya? Yes. Looks like we got disconnected, but that's all right. We're going to continue um, and get through this interview, whether the enemy wants us to or not. So <laughs> go ahead, Anaya. <laughs> Um, well, uh, after me and my little sister, you know, and my older sister, we literally, I don't know how it was possible at such a young age, but I swear it felt like we had an intervention <laughs> at the age of five, three, and seven. We came in the bath and we cried together. We held each other. And growing up and getting taken away, you have to grow up faster mentally and emotionally mm-hmm. to be able to be stable enough to go to the thing. So it, it's so weird that to be so young, we had like this whole um, intervention. And um, we decided that we were going to go on strike. See, mm-hmm. The problem was that as foster kids, we think if we be bad, they'll send us home. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we thought at the time. That, okay, if we be bad and we do something, you know, bad enough, they wouldn't want us anymore and they would send us back home. Right. So we tore up their entire house. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, we broke their lamp, threw all the dishes on the floor, threw all the food out the refrigerator. Oh Jesus, like just talking about it now, it, it sounds like, oh my God. <laughs> but we, we went on strike and, that, and the lady ended up calling our case manager. We did end up leaving the home, but we didn't know that we would be separated. So the judge, um, when kids do that, the judge feel like it's not, um, the kids are not able to function together. 
um, so they 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 will split up siblings because they don't know how to behave together. Mm-hmm. So after that first foster home, we all went to different foster homes. So you all um, took it like it was more of a punishment. It was like the system was punishing you for doing that instead of looking into the actual foster family. Yes. That's um, because you know, man. Um, when with foster parents, in my experience, case managers only know what the kids tell them, and and it has to be something that ha- that would have to, um, it has to be something extreme for the foster family to be placed in uh, investigation, which that did end up happening in another foster home that we were in. At that time, I got to be with my big sister. And it was about maybe five girls. And it, it got to the point where we were treat, we were being treated so bad that they had to come investigate the foster home. And we ended up getting taken away from that foster home. No. And I think that, would, that foster home was the worst one I've ever experienced. It was almost like precious in a way, but without all the, like, details of the movie. But, right. you know, like in the movie when the case manager would come by the house and everything seemed all peachy king. Oh, and, yeah. And then when they leave. So we knew that when the foster the case manager would come by the house, we could ask anything we want, and she would say yes, because she didn't want to seem like the bad foster parent. Oh, um, yeah. But then when they left, it went a whole nother way. Yes, I know all too well exactly what you mean. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're going to take a quick break um, to our listeners. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue um, hearing Anaya's story. So stick and stay. Um, and we'll be right back. You are tuned into the special edition celebrity series of the Impossible Radio Show with your girl, Lady J. And we'll be right back after this. When I look back over my life And I see all the things Things the Lord has brought me through. 
Subscribe yet to our free online digital interactive magazine, The Ego Magazine? No? Well, head on over to www.egoentertainmentnet.com and subscribe and now. Are you still there? This magazine is all about showcasing yes, and supporting okay, excellence cool. in communities everywhere from music, arts, and culture, relationships, so finance, oh God, education, so politics, sports, news, and so much more. While you're flipping you through the pages, so just click on the tents on the pictures that you see, so. and you'll be taken to a oh, whole other world behind the articles. I know, you know, I don't, At I don't Ego Entertainment, enough, everyone like, is a star. Like there is something in it for everyone well, and wait, I I'm hope you are positively impacted by what okay. you see and will continue to support this is your girl Lady J owner and operator of Ego Entertainment and creator of the Ego Magazine enjoy 
are back. You are tuned into the special edition series with celebrity guests on the Impossible Radio Show with your girl Lady J. Y'all had to get myself together, and this song, that song, gonna break. I am still here by Dorinda Clark. Just had me tore up. Yeah, I know <laughs> my emotions are already all over the place, uh, recovering from this brain aneurysm. So, um, and I know how I feel about you know supporting people and sharing their story. So. I'm just going to tell my listeners, you already know how I am. But anyway, you're going to have to excuse me if I get emotional, okay, <laughs> while talking to Anaya. So um, I love seeing the 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 grace um, and the glory that comes after all of that. So Anaya, um, we're going to continue your story. And you left off telling us about... Um, the first foster home that you were in being the worst out of all of them and, and how your uh, sister tried to commit suicide at seven years old. And, um, you know, after retaliating or acting out in regards to the things that were happening to you all within that foster home, um, you all were separated. Can you tell me um, what was that like being separated from your siblings? Um, well, when the judge ordered for us to be separated. Um, at the age of, I think I, I was about six years old at this time um, when I got, when we, the judge like ordered for us to be put into different foster homes. Um, I think the, me, I didn't really process it the way that I should have because I felt like, okay, every foster home that I go to, I'm just going to be bad. And coincidentally, like, my sisters were the same way. Being in foster care, you don't know at a young age that the worse that you behave, the less foster homes want you. And it was only making me go further and further from my siblings. So um, after leaving about my third foster home and being taken out of my third foster home for being bad, um, I threw a fit that I, I had a I had a foster home and she was really good. I actually got to be with my little sister in this foster home, and I remember it was my birthday, and I wanted a Barbie doll house, and I think I was six, six at this time. I wanted a big Barbie doll house, and on my birthday, my birthday is Christmas Eve, so the tradition is for you to open like one present. Mm-hmm. But on that day, I wanted to open that gift particularly because I knew what it was. It was my big Barbie doll house. Mm-hmm. And because I couldn't, I threw the hugest fit. I went upstairs, I packed my bag. I told the lady, call my my case manager. I want to leave. Not knowing that when I left that foster home, I ended up in another foster home that was way worse way worse than that one that I was that I had left. Mm-hmm. My little sister ended up getting my um, Barbie doll house because I came to visit one day and she was like, look at my Barbie doll house in my head at the age of seven. I was like, that's my Barbie doll house, you mm-hmm. know, but you, when you be bad, you don't get to keep those things. Right. So all my gifts went to her. Um, but when my case manager came to pick me up and I was leaving my little sister. I didn't realize that my behavior would affect my little sister. I was her oldest sister, and she needed me. But I, I cared more about my Barbie doll house than than knowing that I'm le- I'm actually leaving my little sister behind. 
mm-hmm. and it wasn't right. Which well, damaged her uh-huh. in the end because now that we're older, she tells me she still remembers that. She remembers when I left her and it, and it hurt her. And um, at that time when I went to the next foster home, I didn't know how good I had it in the foster home that I left. So at, the, at that moment, I realized that's when I realized, okay, my behavior is not getting me to go back home. It's getting me to shelter, group homes, foster homes. And as you get older, foster parents, they don't want teenagers. They don't want older kids. They only take little kids. Right. And um, I had to learn the hard way. I had to learn that my behavior is only going to get me somewhere further than where I'm actually trying to go. So when I found when I found music in the shelter, I turned seven years I turned seven in my, my first shelter. And that's actually when I started listening to music. Thus leading me up to finding out that Monica, Whitney Houston, all of those artists would actually be my way of coping. And since then, you know, it's it's, it's from seven years old and up, every foster home that I ended up in, it was, I had to have music. I had to. I had to have a Walkman. I had to have a radio. I, I had it. I needed it. I, I couldn't do it if I didn't, you know? Mm-hmm. I had to go back and forth between my older sister and my little sister. I, by then, my little sister got adopted. And she got, they changed her name. So I wasn't able to find my little sister. And I ended up being with my older sister mm-hmm. back and forth. And, and I lost. It took me 14 years to find my little sister. And I had a choice to to either find my little sister or to find my dad. Because they couldn't find both. So my case manager said, we can either find your dad or we can find your little sister. But you have to choose one. And I chose to find my little sister. Hmm. So I, I, I understand um, the music being uh, a coping mechanism and kind of a safe place. Um, I can relate directly to that. Um, and music is, has this universal language. It has the ability to heal. It has the ability to encourage. It has the ability to, you know, uplift and and all of these things. Um, so I can definitely relate to that. Um, but as a child, um, in in listening to you tell your story, I have to say that none of that really was your fault. If five and six is your brain is not equipped to um, to kind of work through the things that you were going through and actually know how to respond. I mean, at five and six, you're still in the beginning, you know, childhood stages of, you know, brain development. So, um you know, you're doing the the best that you can with with what you have, trying to get the result that you know that you need and that you want. So, um, I'm I'm sure that you understand that now, but I definitely don't want you to feel like in 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 telling your story to feel like it was your fault that you know um, that you were removed from your from your sisters and and because it, it it really wasn't so. Um, that that has no bearing, you know, on you or is you can't take ownership for that. 
um, one, the system that you were in should have been better at their job. Two, the foster homes that you were in definitely, you know, should have been removed. I want to ask the f- the very first foster home that you were in and the other, the second foster home that you were in that was not so kind to you as well. Did either of those people actually pay for what they did to you all? Or were they allowed to continue being foster parents? Um, they were allowed to continue to be foster parents. Um, that foster home, the first foster home, after we toured their house, it was like the, the case manager came. The foster parents actually called CPS to come remove us from their home. So it wasn't like, you know, the kids are calling, hey, hey, we need, you know, we want to leave. We want to leave. They're doing this. They're doing that. And it was them, like, calling and saying, we can't take care of these kids no more. Like, we can't do it. So when that happens, it, it actually eliminates the whole investigation, seeing why, what happened, why the kids do what they do. It's automatically put on us um, and not the foster home. Now, the other foster home, that ended up being in um, – in an investigation and that foster mom was not allowed to do foster care anymore because of the labor that we we would go through the things that we go through that lady she would leave us in a garage a hot garage for hours um she wouldn't feed us like she's supposed to so we were losing weight the case managers were noticing that um foster parents foster kids had to have a therapist mm-hmm. so each one of us in our foster that was in our foster home and we would talk to our therapist. The therapist has to report back to the case managers and um they noticed that all of our stories, like it wasn't something that we planned. It's just we confined in our therapist and they noticed that we all were talking about the same thing as far as how we were being treated in the foster home. We would get left outside, we'd have to sleep in the garage. We weren't allowed to have any money. We weren't allowed to, like, take any lunch to school. Any money that we did get, um, they took it from us. Hmm. I literally found my best friend in my in that foster home, and I would, me and my older sister would go to their house before school and eat breakfast because she, she wouldn't feed us. Hmm. And I lost a lot of weight. The foster kids lost a lot of weight. Our behaviors were you know different some of the foster kids ended up have to be on medication um and that's what led to a uh an investigation in that foster home okay so yeah that's 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 horrible i i just honestly feel like the systems around child protective services period in the united states can do a whole lot better um but let's fast forward to um, how you got into becoming an artist and how did you transition from that um, trauma as a child into where you are today? What steps did you take to overcome those things? Or would you say that you're still in the process of healing? Um, I think... I'm somewhat still in the process of healing to a certain extent. Like, I, I feel like 
as I got older, I've learned like, okay, certain things wasn't my fault. Certain things I can't keep holding on to because it's only affecting me as an adult. Like when it comes to my friendships, my relationships, um, my trust, my trust never was damaged by like guys or anything like that. My trust was actually damaged from my mom, from women around me. And, and being in foster homes, you're always surrounded by um, females. So my trust was actually damaged that way. And as I went on and learned what helped me, which was music, I didn't know that music was something that I was going to want to do. I knew that I couldn't live without it, but there was so much to me. Like, I'm very characterized. Um, like, I'm very going So everybody kept telling me, like, you need to be active. You need to be this. You're going to be a drama queen. You're going to be this, this, that. And mm-hmm. for the longest, I thought, okay, yeah, you know, I love singing. I was in a church choir, but it wasn't something I, I thought. I knew, like, okay, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Until my space came about. And um, I actually found my mom on MySpace. I typed in her name. Me and my sister was at school. And I typed in her name, and it came up. And I wrote her, and I said, hey, I'm your daughter. You know, my name is so-and-so. You know, my older sister's name is Trees. We've been looking for you for years. My mom did music. So when she got out of jail, she actually was doing tours and shows and all the things that I'm doing now, my mom was doing at that time. So once I found out that my mom was doing that, and I um, I remember I was on MySpace, and every friend that was friends with my mom, I would go and write them, like, hey, my name is so-and-so, I'm her daughter, can you please tell her we're looking for her? And I had to have sent that message to about, like, at least 10 of her MySpace friends, and somebody reached out to her and said, I think your daughter is looking for you. And they sent my MySpace profile to her, and she reached back out to me, and we got on the phone. And um, actually, when the, the judge found out, it's illegal to actually have a conversation with your biological family. But when I found out my mom did music, mm. and she was an artist, all of the things that she did, touring, and she would send us her music, and then I started singing. I was like, no, I, I this is what I want to do. Like, look at my, my mom. She's doing all these things, and so many people know her. And my mom would tell me, you, you're going to be a singer, and she would encourage me, you know, especially with music. It was her doing to push me towards being an artist. But she was very big on, she was very big on um, education, so I really didn't pursue being a full-time artist until after I graduated school, but my mom and finding her on MySpace was the it for me. Like, okay, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. Okay, and what age was that? Um, I was a freshman in high school. Okay. I was in ninth grade when I found my mom. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about the process of forgiveness. Like... <clears throat> Was it just something that you, hey, I found my mom. I just, you know, found out this is what she's doing. And so I'm going to do what she's doing. Or um, did you actually have to go through a process of forgiveness? Um, Did you develop a relationship with her? Things of that sort. And then we're going to talk about um, your new music and the upcoming uh, Millennium Tour. Um, So everyone, stick and stay. We'll be right back. You are tuned into the special edition series, The Celebrity 
guests on the I'm Possible radio show. And we will be back in just a few moments. So stick and stay.
You have been tuned in to a special edition of the Impossible Radio Show with your girl, Lady J, Celebrity Interviews. And tonight we are talking to Anaya Love Note, R&B and hip hop artist. And she's been telling us about her uh, personal story of overcoming the impossible. Um, just a recap for all of you who I see just are tuning in and um, for those who already tuned in, um, Anaya... Uh, at the age of five, was sent to foster care due to abuse by her at the hands of her mother. Um, they called her grandmother. She's experienced um, some very unfortunate trauma mistreatment while in the foster care system. Her and her siblings were separated. Um, she's still in the process of healing, and she left off tel telling us about how um, music became her coping skill. It became one of her actually her main coping skill and um, became the thing that she knew that she wanted to do um, as a freshman in high school after finding her mother. So Anaya, can you uh, tell me when you found your mother, was it like this um, exciting reunion? Um, did you have to go through the process of forgiveness or had you already forgiven her before then? Um, how was, how did that happen? Um, so I found, when I found my mom, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I was super excited. I felt like I have found a whole nother part of me that had been missing for like ever. Um, the thing is, growing up, I was more attached to my mom than the rest of my siblings were. And um, my oldest sister, she was more attached to my grandma. So... When I was young, when I was younger, my my grandma she she would always say, "You're gonna end up just like your mom. You're gonna end up just like me. You're gonna be just like your mom." I my mom dealt with the same things that my that I dealt with from my grandma as she did, so which made me grow attached to her even more. So when I found her, I it was like more exciting for me than it was for my sister. For my sister, it was like, you know, she's my mom, but she didn't raise me. Mm -hmm. For me, it was. Mom, I, you know, I want to tell you all of these things about me, blah, blah, blah. But then the, the twist happened, and me and my mom actually didn't get along for a lot of years. Me and my mom, my mom tricked me into giving her my um, social security number. I got a lot of things placed in my name in states that I had never been to. Mm -hmm. And um, there was this one time... And my mom asked me for my social security number so she could claim me on income tax. Mm -hmm. And it, it was illegal. I didn't know it at the time, but my, my case manager told me. And it would seem like any time my mom would ask me for something, I'd tell her no, she'd get mad, and she'd say hurtful things, and I would give in. Hmm. And um, how I ended up having a, a light bill in my name in Detroit. I've never been to Detroit. So there was this one time she asked me to claim me on income taxes. 
And I told her no. My mom said to me, she said, when I die, I wouldn't give a F if you were at my funeral or not. She said, don't call me mother. I'm not your mom. I'm washing my hands with you at this only. At that time, I cried my eyes out. I couldn't even believe that a parent could say such things to their kid. I never forgot that. I cried so hard that it made me numb. It made me numb. And I, at that time, I realized that I can't change somebody. You can't, you can't change somebody's nature. It doesn't matter if they're your family or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're absolutely right. <laughs> it so, doesn't matter if they're your family or not. You can't change somebody's nature. So my foster mom at this time, she, she was my mom. She was my mom. She she was telling me she was, it's gonna be okay. You know, she's the only thing that I had. It's my mom, that's my world. I'll give her anything. Her heart does. I, I love that woman. She was my foster mom on paper, but she was my mother in life. And my my biological mom did not like that I called another woman mom. She hated that. Mm-hmm. So she would always feel like I was using her against her to hurt her on purpose and that wasn't the case and she didn't she didn't get that the further she pushed me away the closer she pushed me to hurt mm-hmm. um eventually like today me and my mom is close like we laugh we talk our, our relationship had to grow she didn't know me and i didn't know her it sounds crazy as a, a parent and a daughter, but my mom didn't know my favorite color. She didn't know what I liked to eat. To her, every time I didn't want to do something she didn't want to do, I was this, I was that, I was this, I was that. And the words just got worse and worse and worse. So my older sister got, my older sister relationship got better with my mom. My relationship got worse with my mom. And I was the person who actually was the mama daughter like I, I was that was the mommy and it and it was crazy how it kind of like kind of just i guess the tables turned on me so i want to um this is not just for you but for our listeners too um a lot of you that know me um and know what i do with life support i want to um say this the First step in overcoming, you know, traumas and hardships and things of this sort is the the step of forgiveness. And a lot of times we have a very difficult time forgiving our parents or people that are um, a part of our our DNA, the people that we feel um, should, you know, always be there. And we are so wrapped up in the in the title and the and and the job that this person has you know in our lives that we forget that they are only a part of who we are and they are just the vessel in which we you know entered into this world but they don't hold the power to um to place in you you know the purpose that God has for your life so with that being said also before our parents 
you know, give birth to us, they themselves have experienced life. This is not to excuse or justify any behavior because when you become of age, everyone has some sort of basic instinct as to what is right and what is wrong. But if they have experienced certain things in life, um, you know, um, from their parents or their upbringings and life experiences, and they never received the help or the support needed, then they have not been equipped with the tools, you know, to do better or help their children when they in, uh, uh, when they come in contact with traumas um, such as their own or even worse. So that's the one thing I think that I would like for everyone to think about when you are entering into that season of forgiveness because it makes it a little bit easier when you can see them as an individual and not as a parent um and again it's not to justify or negate that but it one it helps you to accept them for who they are and understand that it has absolutely nothing to do with you and who they are and who they choose to be um is completely and utterly up to them and Anything that they choose to be, anything that they choose to do that keeps them from having a healthy relationship with you um, is not, you know, your fault and it's their loss. So um, while you're still in the healing phase, I want you to, you know, keep keep that in mind. And maybe that's something, too, that you can share with, you know, other people along the way when you come in, in contact with. Um, because oftentimes we allow those things to hinder us from being the best version of ourselves and from, you know, being successful in all areas of life because we tend to harbor on their, that thing. Sometimes you have to be willing to accept the apology that you'll never get, you know. Um, and so that's something that I personally had to do. Um, and it, I think it speaks to the strength of an individual such as yourself, Anaya, when you are able to overcome things while accepting the apology that you'll never get, while not having the relationship that you see, you know, other people have with their fathers or their mothers and things of that sort. It speaks to a certain strength and to a certain purpose, you know, that God has for you. Because at the end of the day, what we go through is not just for us. You know, you're going to come in contact with people. I'm pretty sure you already have. And if you haven't, I'm pretty sure that you will come in contact with people that have experienced some of the same things that you have. So, I mean, you'll be able to share your life story and experiences and tools and encouragement with them to help them along the way. So, um, in knowing that music is what you wanted to do, how did you get to this point where you are now as far as being a, a R&B and hip hop artist, you know, um, coming up actually in the mainstream? Um, I know that your latest single features the Yin Yang Twins and Chanel um, West Coast. And you're going to be opening on the West Coast for the Millennium Tour. So tell me, what, how does that feel? What is that like? And um, how did you get to this point? Um, well, first, I was going to get my, I was getting my nose done. It's like a little short story. I was getting my nose done. Mm-hmm. And my business partner, Cody, called me. Well, he FaceTimes me. He never FaceTimes me. Like, if he FaceTimes me, it got to be something big. So he <laughs> FaceTimes me, and I'm already in the car, and he's like, 
what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm in the car. I just got my nails done. So I start driving. All of a sudden, he puts the Yin Yang twins on FaceTime. I lost it instantly. <laughs> I was like, I got to pull over. I got to pull over. And uh, I, I started and I pulled over and I was screaming. And, and the Yin Yang twins were talking to me. And they were like, we can't wait to have you on the Millennium Tour. You better kill it. Da, da, da. That moment, that was like, because we had talked about it. But to that at that moment, it was confirmed, like, from them, like, you're opening up for us on the Millennium Tour. I, I was on the phone with both of my sisters. Like, when I got off the phone with them, I called both of my sisters. And I was supposed to be making nachos that night. <laughs> but I couldn't, I couldn't focus. Like I, I went to Walmart and I picked up the wrong size panties. Uh, I mean, you know, I grabbed the wrong nacho stuff because in my head, I could not believe, oh my gosh, I'm about to be in front of millions of people, thousands of people opening up for people that I grew up listening to that also helped me cope with the things that I was going through in foster care. So mm-hmm. to actually be face-to-face with these people who don't even know how much they've impacted my life as an artist mm-hmm. or as a foster kid. And it's beyond crazy. Like it's, I, I'm, I don't think I'm really going to grasp it until I'm on the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to walk out on stage. Like, I don't think I'm going to get that until I, till I get to that point. Um, but getting from that point, I actually, I moved away from home. I moved to Atlanta. I lived in Atlanta for four years. And I remember telling my mom, I was like, look, ma, I got to go. You know, like, I had no money to my name. I had not even one dollar. I didn't have a bank account. I didn't have a job. I had nothing but the clothes that I packed up with. And I was like, I got to leave. I, I know. And I told my mom, I said, I know that if I leave, I'm going to make it. The thing about me was I couldn't keep a job. Like, when I leave, I couldn't, I didn't know why I couldn't keep a nine to five job. Mm-hmm. I would always get fired from all my jobs. So I'd be there for, like, the longest of three months. So whenever I get a new job, my mom, I'd be like, Mom, I got a job. And she's like, yeah, okay, talk to me after three months. <laughs> it just, it was that late. So <laughs> when I lost my last job, I lost my job. I lost my apartment. My GPA dropped in school. Um, friends that I thought were my friends turned out not to be my friends. I literally had nobody. I felt like at that point, that was God saying, I keep trying to get your attention. And you're not going to pay attention until I strip everything away from you, mm-hmm. which is what he did. He took everything that was a distraction in my life. It didn't matter if it was a nine-to-five job or not. It was, I have something so much bigger for you, but you can't seem to pay attention. And no matter how many things that I was going through over the years, when I look back at those moments, I realize, man, that was God trying to get my attention. That was God telling me, like, you're not paying. You're not paying attention. So once I lost my job, I couldn't go back to school because my GPA, so I got my GPA back up. I didn't have any friends. I lost my apartment. I got evicted out of my apartment. Um, I, I At that point, I had a dream. And I, I kid you not, I swear I I went back and I cried myself sleep because I literally felt like I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, that night, I had a dream, and I'll never forget it. I was standing on stage, but it was it was so wet, so you couldn't see any faces. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't see anything. I just remember hearing screaming, like a, a 
like a, a crowd screaming and I was standing there and it was just that. It was no life. It was nothing. It was just me standing there in a crowd screaming and it was dark. And at that point, I woke up, I called my mom, I was like, mom, I'm leaving. I'm moving to Atlanta. I can't do this anymore. You know, I got to leave Austin. There's nothing here for me. Of course, because she's my mom, she's going to worry. Of course, since they know I'm not able to keep a nine to five job, they're like, how are you going to support yourself? Right? Mm-hmm. Did we lose her again? Um, and then, and then when I moved and I started waitressing, I started meeting people. I got involved in a promo team um, that allowed me to come to every party, to know people. People started knowing my face. I invested in myself as far as studio time. Oh, we we keep losing you, Anaya. Hold on, everybody. Let's keep losing our guest. Oh, hello. All right, I can hear you. Oh, okay, I'm not sure what happened. Oh, but go ahead. Okay, so I I moved to Atlanta, and um, this guy, this rapper, he had moved me to Atlanta. He said I was going to do PR work for him. Mm-hmm. Come to find out, he tried to prostitute me, and oh I didn't know my. about it. So he had put me on this thing called Backpage, and I found out what Backpage was from an Uber driver that was taking me to work. And the guy, he ended up moving to Miami, and he told me that him, me and his cousin was going to take over his apartment. I had no money at this time, and I didn't have nowhere to stay. So I had stayed with them thinking, okay, I'm going to do PR work. But then I find out later on, I told him, I don't have no money. He's like, I'm going to give you 30 days, you know, two weeks to pay the rent. But that was his rent. It wasn't mine. It was his. Mm-hmm. He said, if you don't come up with the money, you have to get out. Now, I don't, I tell this story and people, people finally get it. But so I, I go to, I started this job at Wet Willie's as a waitress. And then I met this girl. Her name was Kashina. She trained me. That same day, I went to Target, and I met this man who was talking to me, and we were laughing about Target didn't have hot sauce. Mm-hmm. And when the guy told me to get out, he put me out of his home, told his cousin to throw myself out the door, and he did that. I had nowhere to go. I called Kashina, and she told me I could come stay at her home. When I came to her home, that same man that I met at Target was her husband. But oh I didn't know my. that at the time. So when I came to her home, she goes, you know what's crazy? When I met you, I came home and I said, you got to meet this girl. She started working out with Willie's. I love her. Her energy is, you would love her. You just got to meet her. That same day, he came home and told her, I met this girl at Target and she was so energetic. and We were laughing about her thoughts. I didn't think you would like her when you meet her. They didn't know that they were talking about the same girl, which was me. Mm-hmm. And they allowed me to stay with them for as long as I needed to. And eventually I got on my own feet and I was able to pursue my music. Um, so that way, honestly, if it wasn't for them, I probably wouldn't have lasted in Atlanta as long as I did. 
Um, and that was just, again, God's way of saying, you're going to be okay. And, it, and I want people to know that it doesn't matter the cards that you're dealt with. It doesn't matter the people you come in contact with. You're going to come across people who want to use you and take you down with them. You're going to come across people who are not genuine, who want to see you fail. And then you're going to come across those who want to see you succeed. It's all a part of your plan and your steps. You may not know it at the time until after you overcome it and you're able to sit back and look back at it. And when you sit back and realize everything that happened and how everything turned out, you finally like, man, that was, that was God. It right. seems like every time I'm about to have a breakthrough or something's about to happen or something's about to go wrong and I feel like I don't, I don't have nothing. Bam, there he goes. And he just makes everything better. Like it's, it's always at the very last minute when you think that you're about to fall is when he blesses you. And I had to learn that. I learned that. And ever since then, now to this day, when I meet people and they say they want to do this, I'm open to helping anybody. I absolutely love it. I love it, love it, love it. Um, I am so glad that you are, you know, living your dreams, that you are still here and have overcome the things that you have overcome. Um, so can you tell us about your music? Um, where can people get it? How can they follow you? How can they support you? Um, you can find my music at Anaya Love Note. It's A-N-A-Y-A Love Note. Um, my music is everywhere. My new single just dropped, The Care in the Bad, featuring Chanel with Coast and the Yin Yang Twins. It's doing amazing. And I hope you guys like it. And, you know, that's, that's, that's where you can find me. I'm also Anaya Love Note on Instagram. So really, I just tell people like to go on Google and just type it because I think everything pops up like my website pops up my music pops up radio interviews music videos all that pops up under Anaya Love Note awesome so um if you could uh give encouragement to somebody that has gone through is going through what you're going through right now and they're trying to um overcome it what would you say um, my, I would say never give up. The thing about pursuing your dreams is that it's hard. And I feel like people think that it's easy, but it's not. It's hard, very hard. But people, people won't see where you started, but they'll see where you end. And that's the goal. A lot of people don't know my story, and they may not know your story. And nine times out of ten, actually, 90% of people you meet will never know your story. And then the other 10% or 5% will be the people you find and you're able to come find them and tell your story to and they latch on to you and they help you. Don't give up. It doesn't matter how many times you fall. It only counts how many times you get up. This industry, as far as music goes, is not for the weak as far as music goes. But pursuing your dreams, man, again, you got to really love it. It got to be something that you really, really love that you just can't see yourself doing without because that love is what motivates you to keep going and keep going and keep going. Eventually, you're going to get there. 
And once you get there, don't stop. People reach their goals and they feel like, okay, well, I've reached my goals. That's it. But no, you got to keep going. There's never enough goals. And every blessing comes with a better goal. You achieved this, now you got to do this. Just, just keep going. There's, there's no, we don't know where you're going to end up until you're six feet under. At that time, you could stop. If that's when you're six feet under, that's when you could say, okay, Jesus, I'm done. I, I, I'm ready to sleep. Right. I'm good now. But, but until then, you keep going. And you find a certain amount of people that you can trust, that you can confide in, and you hold on to them. You hold on to them really tight. And then the other people, don't, don't worry about what people say. There's going to be a lot of people that tell you no, and, and that's going to try to discourage you. There's going to be times that you see other people moving around you, and you feel like you're at a standstill, and you feel like, what am I doing wrong? But slow progress is still progress. So, yeah, just keep going, man. It's, it only gets better. It does. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much for being a guest tonight on the show and for sharing your story, for being brave enough and courageous enough to do so. I really appreciate it. Um, again, this is not the, the side that we get to see from those that people hold um, up as um, idols or, you know, uh, celebrities. A lot of people... I don't know why, but they tend to think that celebrities are not just regular people like the rest of us. Like they go through the same types of struggles, you know, they have, you know, challenges every day, just like we do. So um, thank you again for coming on here and sharing um, with us. I really appreciate it. Um, so we have come down thank to the, <laughs> we have come down to the last three minutes of the show. I'm going to ask my callers to hold on the line um, when we end the show. And I'm going to leave my listeners with this before I close out the show, as I always do. Um, on this journey called life, you will experience some roadblocks that possess things that are outside of your control, that have the ability to make you and break you. The funny thing is, some of it will break you, but the pieces can be put back together again. That's what makes you. It makes you durable, wiser, better, and a conqueror. Roadblocks don't keep you from reaching your destination. They just cause you to detour and teach you how to adapt. So I'm going to leave you with that on tonight from our um, special edition series, Celebrity Interviews of the Impossible Radio Show. You all know you can tune in every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. for a regular show every week of, you know, people coming on here to share their stories of overcoming the impossible. Um, and for those of you who are uh, tuning in for the first time, if you don't know who I am, then you can go and you can Google me. And you can also go to my website at www.ladyj.co. That's .co. Um, and if you want to know more about my life story, which I've shared so many times, um, then you can go to Amazon.com or purchase the book, the Life Support Series, um, on my website. So as I always say before I end the show, after all of the hell you went through, the word through is an indication that you defeated the impossible too. New adversities will come, but overcoming them has already made you unstoppable. The favor over your life incomparable, which gives you the right to think and believe I'm possible. I love y'all. Deuces. And we're out.